there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Will you introduce yourself, just background about where you work, anything you want to share with us? Great. So my name is Genesis. I'm a college nurse practitioner and I work at a college. I was a nurse for a few years before I jumped on the nurse practitioner wagon. And so I've been doing this for a couple years, you know, still a bit of a fresh graduate, but we see people from all ages, as young as like 16 to as old as I want to say like late seventies and anything from ortho to reproductive health to um, well woman and, you know, small sprains and ankles, concussions, things like that. That's so cool. So it sounds like you're not just seeing like undergraduates, you're seeing like yes, the whole Everything. university basically. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. So you're seeing like faculty members. Do you see like family members of faculty? No. So we keep it strictly to students and then we will see staff um, for like first aid Mm-hmm. Um, vaccines, you know, things like that, preventative short, short bits, but mostly it's students. Um, cool. And we do have students who are returning or are just taking classes, you know, just for hobby or international students, which those are pretty fun. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's awesome. And I actually have a lot of questions about college health, but we are going to primarily focus on sexual health because that's such a big topic and something you're very passionate about too. So I think to start, we chatted before this recording. Um, Let's start by talking about getting a sexual health history because I know that that is such a pain point for so many both new and experienced providers because it can just be, I don't know, I think people just feel really overwhelmed with it. But anyway, what are what are your thoughts about obtaining a sexual health history? What is your kind of approach, your advice, your recommendations? For sure. I think that, you know, you and I talked about this, but it's something that should be addressed. You know, the CDC recommends and other sites recommend at least annually, right? And so it is a very uncomfortable topic for some people, um, you know, just as much for the patient as much as a provider. And I think that before you even start getting into this topic, you do need to do a check-in with yourself and see what things are you comfortable with, what responses are you comfortable with, what things might trigger you. Um, and, you know, check your own biases and, uh, you know, assumptions that you've made about a certain age group or a certain gender so that you know what you're coming in with and you can educate yourself to be better prepared to serve your patient. Um I like to start off with five P's, which is something that the CDC created. Now it's up to six P's. And so it's just a good approach, very methodical about how to start asking these questions in a way that's non-judgmental, that's very factual, but also open-ended. Um, so things, you know, as far as pregnancy intention, protection, uh, the six P's that were just um, integrated, talk about pride and um, any problems that the person might have as well as pleasure, right? And so those are the three pieces that I think we're lacking in the five Ps um, because we don't address 
have you come up to your family? Are they supportive of your identity, right? Are they supportive of your orientation um, as well as do you have pain when you have intercourse, right? And so those things were missing. And I think that initially these five P's were more targeted to our young population, right? And so we do have our baby boomers. We have older adults that whether we want to see it or not, they're having intercourse, right? Or maybe they want to, but they're too shy to ask about you know, how can I make it more pleasurable for myself? Um, and there are tools that we have. We can make referrals. We can talk to them. You know, there's tons of things that we can do for them, but we can't do any of that unless we address it initially and we open that door to that conversation. Totally. Um, so I don't want to put you on the spot to name all of the P's, but I'm thinking um, about, especially with um, students or newer grads who are like, I don't even know what the P's are. Yeah. Could you give us? Could you give us a little overview of the P's? Or how yes. you use the P's, even if you don't have, you don't have to rattle them off. I'm not like quizzing you, but like, what is yeah. your approach with that? What are the P's? So I initially start off with asking, are you sexually active? Do you have sex? Right. Because then that leads you on a different road. If the person's not having sex, are you planning to have you ever, right? Um, if the person is sexually active, then what kind of sex do you practice with? What partners do you practice? And some people like to kind of phrase it. What part of your body goes in whose part of the body? Right. And the whole bit of that, and I'll finish with the, with the piece, but, um, you know, protection, pregnancy intention, um, that also goes along with it. Um, and there's a fifth one that I can't think of. I have a, I feel like there's now. always one that escapes and those little acronyms are like, what is that last yeah. one? So we'll yeah. link to the resources, the CDC resources down below, but yes. yeah, go okay. ahead. What, what were you going to say um, about that? Right. And so that, that just helps to establish a little bit of a framework so that when a person is asking for testing or a person is having some complaints that you wouldn't have thought, oh, maybe it's sexually related, you have that information yeah. for testing, right? If they're having rectal sex or having oral sex, you know, or whatever sex that they're having, then you can provide the correct testing for it because you're not going to be testing a urine sample when maybe you should have gotten a pharyngeal swab, right? And so in the end, like, this is what it's about. It's about giving the best care that you can with the information that you have. Um, yeah. I do want to add in that, you know, before you start in that conversation, letting your patient know, you know, this is something that I ask all my patients. It's not just for you, but we do want to go over your sexual health. Mm -hmm. And so some of the questions that I ask are, are very private. And I hope mm -hmm. that you feel comfortable enough to talk to me about this today. Mm -hmm. If not, we can always talk about it at some other time. Mm -hmm. And so then you kind of leave that door, you know, a little open yeah. and, you make it okay for them to say, you know what, I'm not interested or I don't want to talk about that or I don't feel comfortable. And that's okay. And then you just maybe address it in the future again. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I think that when, when I think about my own experience, because I'm also included in this like journey of like trying to step into this provider role, right. Mm -hmm. As like, um, it's, I think a lot of people are like, what questions do I ask? I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to make the person uncomfortable. And, um, and like, so that people tend to avoid it. Right. But I think like, like you, what you're saying about that permission based, like making everything really permission based is so crucial. I actually have an episode I'll link to below. It reminds me of this topic is like trauma informed care yeah. where you're kind of like, there's such a power dynamic already with you being the provider and them being the patient that like you have, we have to be really mindful of that permission. First of all, can we talk about this? this? Is something that you like to talk about? And they get to say no whenever, and they get to decline to answer whatever they want to. But then I think the other thing, I love how flat you're, you are when you talk about it, right? Because, um, 
so many people have this like really like uncomfortable response of like, oh, who are your partners? Which like, which is what you were saying. Like we just, we have to like think before we even get into the room, we have to kind of practice this. Like even if we're just practicing, like, like pretend in our minds or like whatever, but like you have to get through, like what is going to come up for me in this visit? What do I have an issue with? And until we can get to that place of like the way that you're saying things in this very matter of fact way, this flat, very, very matter of fact way, like we have to think about those pieces. But I think like just sharing from my own personal experience, like I'd love to hear what your thoughts are, but it feels like people are waiting for us to ask these things. Like the people who come in with the like, um, there's somebody I follow online. Um, I think it was like, I think it's Dr. Milhouse is a urologist physician. I was talking about like, I'm an expert in like the urologist mumble because like patients come in and they're like, mm, like I need help with this because they don't want to talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the people who don't come in with that also want to talk about it. And so I guess my, my, my personal experience, and I'd love to hear yours is like, when you bring this up with people, most of the time, it's like 99% of the time, it's a yes. I'm always asking permission. I'm always very delicate about it, very sensitive, mm-hmm. but people want to talk about it and they just want definitely. to be candid. What are, what are your thoughts about that? You know, definitely. I think that a lot of people appreciate just the fact that you're asking for permission, right? And that's that whole patient-centered approach is that shared decision-making model. Mm-hmm. Um asking for permission, using verbiage that they can understand, no medical jargons, um, yeah. you know, respecting their privacy and also just going in line with, you know, what are they comfortable with, right? Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, going at their own pace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of things that you can do in order to make it a lot more comfortable for them. Yeah. Um, and so again, you know, just going back to that five P's, it just, it, it lines it up in a way that's very professional. Yeah. Um, I think that sometimes we get caught up in this extreme curiosity, yeah. you know, to, to understand someone through other lenses. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of take a, a little advantage. That is a possibility. And so, you know, just lining yourself up and, you know, you can create a template if you want, right? Yeah. Lining yourself up and asking these questions in this order keeps you very professional. They know that you're not out to get other information that you don't need necessarily, right? Because sometimes we do get information that's too much. It's over the top. We didn't necessarily need it to make a diagnosis or to order certain tests. Yeah. 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 But I, and and I think like um, when you talk about like parts, I can imagine a lot of I can imagine myself, my former self and my students being like, there's no way I'm going to ask that. (laughs) And the moral of the story is the reality is that people want to talk about this. And the more we can practice being matter of fact about it, like it can be uncomfortable. I think the first times that people are doing it, but once you get in into the hang of things, it's really, it really is the most supportive because I think it's really ties into this kind of next question that we uh, kind of uh, summation type of question. We got the, multiple questions from the audience, but um, the question about STI testing. Yes. So basically the scenario is, um, people will come in and I get this all the time, test me for everything. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, awesome. Right. And that's fantastic. I am really excited. Um, and my experience is that there's a lot more questions that we need to ask, especially if they come in like leading with like, test me for everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what is, what is your, um, what are your thoughts about um, STI testing and and your experiences with that? Like how to facilitate, like if, if somebody comes in to see you with that kind of like chief complaint, what is your approach mm-hmm. with those pa- those patients? What I initially tell them is I'm more than happy to order whatever test you may need, but let's talk about what concerns you might have. Yeah. 
right? What concerns do you have? Are you having any symptoms at this time? Did you have a recent encounter? What are you worried about? Mm -hmm. And so if they're concerned about syphilis, let's say, and they had intercourse a week ago, Mm -hmm. too soon to test, right? Um, Things of that matter. And so it just helps to to zoom in on the tests that are actually needed whenever you ask these questions. Mm -hmm. And then also just provides education to your patient when you go through a timeline, right? Chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV, this is when we can run these tests. I can give you a lab slip so you can come back in, in four months and have this done. I think that would be a better idea. But also taking the opportunity to talk about protection. Mm -hmm. how do we keep you safe it looks like this time you were really worried that something might have happened how do we give you the tools that you need so that next time this happens again you're not so anxious about this experience yeah I think every opportunity that you know however small whatever you say to your patient however small it is it's still an opportunity that you can take to educate them or prepare them for next time and to keep them safe because essentially these questions that we ask Yes, it allows us for for better testing and diagnoses and treatment, but also it's to keep them safe, right? Keep their bodies safe, keep them from being in dangerous situations, um, give them the tools necessary to make better choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think um, I think it like ties so. Um, I love that approach of like I think just thinking up through a couple of examples, like patients coming in, I want to be tested for everything. Okay, check, 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 check. Here's your order lab slip, right? Mm-hmm. Like for people who feel really uncomfortable talking about sexual health, I imagine people will be tempted to do something like that. But to your mm-hmm. point, we have to gather more information about symptoms, like exposure, timeline of exposure, um, and sites of exposure, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that um, one someone I know did this um, DNP project about um, non- uh, or extra genital sites for yeah. STI testing, specifically, I think for gonorrhea and chlamydia. And there's like, just, I don't know what the data shows right now, but I, I think it's a lot of missed cases, right? So if we're talking about pharyngeal exposure, rectal exposure, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, we want to think about like, that is so tied into that sexual health history. And so we have to be comfortable talking about that and like letting this be a longer visit than just like, check, 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 check. Yeah. Yeah. Um, super important, you know, good point that you brought up is that three site testing, yeah. right? And, and you wouldn't get that information unless you brought up this history taking, Yeah. what wow. kind of sex are you practicing yeah. with? Who are you practicing? Yeah. Right. And yeah. just going back to those basic questions, um, is going to better prepare you to order the right tests and not totally. waste, you know, time on unnecessary tests that might not be relevant to them, but also catch certain results that you might've missed had you not ask those questions or had your patient not be comfortable disclosing that information, right? That's a big piece is making them comfortable, checking your face, right? Your expression and not being (laughs) when they respond in a, when they respond in a certain way. Um, it's gonna, it's just going to take you a lot further than, you know, Definitely. And doing the opposite. Definitely. And I think I want to normalize too that like I try very hard to be approachable and not threatening and patient-centered and trauma-informed, like all the things. Like I'm very passionate about this. And people will still disclose much later than the first visit. Doesn't matter. Some people just close on the first visit. And I'm like, wow, they, like, I've never told anybody that before. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's wonderful. Like, I'm so glad, like, let's help, blah, blah, blah. But most people don't. And I want to normalize that that's a normal experience. And it's nothing, 
necessarily to do with you, but we do want to be mindful of like our biases, our face, our, what we're bringing in in terms of our own stuff, because we can, we, we, and you and I talked about this. We come to our practices as full humans with our own mm-hmm. perspectives, beliefs, choices. And also we do need to take care of people where they're at. And, um, yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts about, um, I don't know, like, like how to, I don't know, any, any kind of like words of wisdom, I guess, about that, especially for like a newer clinician um, who's kind of like feeling uncomfortable with all of this. The more you talk about it, the more comfortable you're going to be, right? Practice makes perfect, yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but being, comfor- I, being comfortable in your body also helps. Yeah. And um, there's tons of trainings out there. There's tons of books. There's tons of videos. I mean, right now with Instagram and YouTube and all those things, you know, there's yeah. tons of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, they have trainings for um, people who want to become health educators. I have been doing this since I was 18, mm-hmm. not nurse practitioner, clearly, but, you know, talking about reproductive health. And so I'm very comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think just repetition and reading and educating yourself and doing role play. Yeah. It's going to be helpful. Um, just practice, 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 because the more you say penis, right, Mm -hmm. the more comfortable you're going to be. I mean, I remember we had, um, an instructor in nursing school who said, you know, when you get home, say this word and and check yourself and make sure you're not flushing. (laughs) Right. And maybe I, for me, I was fine. Right. But but it is not, you know, outside of, of taking a history, Mm -hmm. if you're working in med surge or wherever you're working and you're, and you're placing a condom cath, right. Like you're going to have to say these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being comfortable with it again, so that yeah. your discomfort doesn't pass on to, to your patient totally. and then, you know, that gets affected. Totally. And I do have a strong flush response, like with like anything, anything, like my face just turns red all the time. I have makeup on, so it's less red right now, but, um, but yeah, I think it's a good thing to practice and like it doesn't. And, and I think that's just, it's so humbling being a new provider, whether you're a physician associate, nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. physician too, honestly, it's like so humbling that like, it's just, it's more, my perspective is opinion, obviously, like it's more important that we take care of our patients and put our egos aside and feel a little bit silly or embarrassed or feel like I'm not an expert at this. Mm-hmm. Like that's been my perspective of coping with that whole transition to practice is like, just got to eat that humble pie and and take good care of our patients and practice and it's going to get easier. And it's like you can't go from nothing to an expert. You know, it's going to be messy. And that's a great point that you bring is you can always tell it to your patient, right? Like, hey, I'm trying something new with my patients and mm-hmm. I'm still working on on the way that I present it. Um, but I just wanted to ask you a couple questions and feel free to answer or just skip. Right. Yeah. And just coming up with that initially, I think is a good idea too. Um, on saying like, Hey, like I, I haven't done this before, or I've done this once or twice. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and, and, and do the best that I can, you know, yeah. but heads yeah. up. Yeah. And so that also just takes that, that power, you totally. know, that power um, relationship mm-hmm. brings it down to an even yeah. playing field and, and then reminds your patient that, okay, this person's another human being. Mm-hmm. They're trying to help me. They're not, you know, over here coming from a different standpoint of trying to tell me what to do or, you know, looking at me, you know, under a magnifying glass. Totally. And I think it's really hard, especially as newer providers um, of like, just it's really hard to accept that you're allowed to have your own humanity 
And like, cause it's like, oh, well, they're going to think I'm an idiot or they're not going to want to go to me anymore. And honestly, I think there's just like a transition of time where like that, that doesn't change. That humanity piece doesn't change that whole time. You just get more comfortable with it. Right. Cause mm -hmm. I, I like, I appreciate sharing my humanity with my patients, right. In an appropriate way like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think patients really do respond to that. And if they don't, then it's fine. They can see somebody else. Right. But yeah. you get to be a human too. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I do love like what you said, it really kind of like evens the 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 dynamic it doesn't have to be like i'm in charge here like we get to be we get to be full people yeah. i have a question i have like a i, I want to go back to what you said about what are your what did you say your sexual practices and your sexual partners is that what you said like how do, right, you, have those, so how do you have those conversations like i think so i think one of the pitfalls of sexual health just one more thing to add before you answer is like I think one of the pitfalls is people come in and they're like are you sexually active and there's an assumption about like genders there's an assumption mm -hmm. of like you have one gendered partner at a, like not one monogamous one mm -hmm. partner at a time like there's this paradigm right there's this like cultural paradigm of like this is how this works mm -hmm. um so how do you how do you talk about that with with people like how do you advise like newer clinicians or again even experienced clinicians of like how do you go into those conversations and elicit that information so for example if you have one person who is a cis male patient mm -hmm. and he has multiple sexual partners per week and that's just his thing and mm -hmm. like it right like that's just an ongoing thing and then you have another person who has a polyamorous relationship with multiple partners of multiple genders like do you know what i mean like there's different like how do you go into a, a patient visit with one person in front of you and elicit that like, yeah. how, what would you give us an example? I think it starts off with like your registration, right? And mm -hmm. and asking about their gender identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then from then on, asking about their gender orientation or their orientation, I'm sorry. And then taking that information and, and framing your questions. But asking that initial question, are you sexually active? Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. What kind of sex are you having? Mm -hmm. And if they look at you confused, then you ask, you know, what part of your body goes into whose part of the body or what, you know, what do you find enjoyable? Mm -hmm. You can always mm -hmm. frame it differently. Yeah. Um, and then going on to do you have sex with men, women or both? It's going to be forever changing as far as the terminology that we use. And we kind of just have to mm -hmm. roll with yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Um, and also asking what are the genders? And also asking what are the genders of their partners because we can have people with like multiple gender identities. Exactly. First, yeah. 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 And you're going to have, you know, you may have someone queer who's who's active with with um, people who identify as men, you know, one week and then women the mm. next week um, mm. or in between the following. Mm. And you just don't know where they're at. And so I think what also helps is saying, you know, I'm asking these questions because it's going to better equip me to be able to order certain tests or take care of you in a better way. Mm -hmm. And so I know that they're uncomfortable, but, you know, if, if you could just answer as honestly as you can, it would help me and, mm -hmm. and you the most mm -hmm. totally. um, and framing it that way too. I've done that in the past where I ask these questions and I thank them. I said, you know, I, I really appreciate how honest you were with me. I know it's a very yeah. sensitive subject, um, mm -hmm. but it's really going to help me order the right test because if you had not mentioned this, then I wouldn't have ordered mm -hmm. this. And so, you know, it, it, it's acknowledging the fact that this is uncomfortable yeah. and then also thanking them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because and then again, letting them know at any time that they can like not, which like if they don't disclose, if they choose not to, if mm -hmm. they choose not to disclose information to us, we may miss things, yeah. but also they get to have that choice, right. Of like, yeah. okay, I'm like, I'm done. I'm good. You know, like, cause it can be very, um, it's just very sensitive for some people. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be that you wrapping your, your, you know, that, that part of that visit with that, 
Yeah. Might be like, oh, wait, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that's a good opportunity to like, oh, great. Fantastic. You know, I can go ahead and order this test then. Totally. Or or let's talk about that more. Um, But just framing your questions and, you know, as as neutral as you can without assumptions and giving options when they're looking at you kind of blankly, because a lot of younger uh, younger people, a lot of older people are going to use different terms or are not familiar with with the terms that we're familiar with, right? Yeah. And I think when we give examples for patients, when we give options, it's kind of like making it clear what we're specifically asking, but then also it creates a, a little bit more safety because it's mm-hmm. like, I've said these words and you can use these words or you can use whatever words they write. And if they come mm-hmm. back with a different set of words, we use the words that they use and mm-hmm. we just try our best. Right. And some people, like you said, like some people use different words for different body parts, for different um, practices, all that stuff. And we just try to you know, be humble and we try to like leave it in an open place of like just asking people to, to share but I love that. I have a, we have a couple other questions I wanted to touch on um, from the audience. So one of the questions was about, so we talked about um, uh, the sexual health history. We talked a bit about STI testing. We didn't get into super specifics of the STI testing, mm-hmm. but like, and I, and I think that's kind of on purpose, like you and I talked about, because um, these episodes stay up for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important to look at the most current guidelines. But I think the moral of the story with the STI testing is really it's tied to sexual health history and practices mm-hmm. and three site testing, making sure that we're not just we're doing extra genital testing. We're doing all the sites of exposure and we're keeping in mind like what those timelines are, like how quick, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's a lot of, it's a lot of learning that we have to do. But like, as we approach each one, like how soon can we test for HIV? How soon can we test for syphilis? How soon can we mm-hmm. test for X, Y, and Z? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but anything else you wanted to add about that, either the sexual health history or STI testing? Um, with STI testing, I know that, so there, there are a lot of people that are concerned about costs, right? Mm, right. So, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And so we talked about this and an, I think that depending on where you work, you know, whether it's a federally qualified center or it's a private practice, the information or the programs that you're exposed to are going to be different in different settings. And your state might have tons of other programs that you're not aware of because that's not the population that you deal with, right? You deal with patients who are insured. And so if you have someone who has insurance, but wants privacy or isn't able to afford their share of cost, don't be afraid to to look around or ask other people if they know of other programs. Um, because that, you know, the cost or, or the privacy piece is preventing someone from getting tested. Mm. We don't want to do that. You want to be able to offer as many services as you can. Yeah. Um, being conscious of the cost as well, right? But there are there are programs that offer sliding scale. Um, or maybe you can prioritize which one's most important. Again, we can always do future orders, we like to call those, where you you don't do it that day, but because you want to keep that relationship with your patient. You want to let them know that I heard you. I do want to help you. I'm going to do the best that I can. Here's a lapse of for you to come back in four months, right? When you would be better suited to have this test. Um, or here you can go ahead and do this today. I mean, another part is you can collect a urine sample and send it out that same day rather than sending them to a lab and perhaps I'm having them done in two weeks or two months or maybe losing a lab slip and then they don't come back till a few months later to see you again and saying, I lost my lab slip, right? Those sort of things we can do for our patients right then and there. And, and that would just bring those results a lot quicker and you get sooner results for them and give them a, 
peace of mind sooner rather than later. What else about STIs? So as far as the five P's go, you have partners, practices, past history of STIs, protection, and pregnancy intention. And then the sixth part that was added on is on pleasure, problems, and pride. Um, so as far as partners, we talked about that. Practices, we've touched base on that. Past history of STIs. Has this person in the past been diagnosed with syphilis, right? That's important information that you want to know because if you order a test and it comes back positive, then at least you know, okay, they had an infection in the past. I don't need to freak out and call them, you know, wanting to give them penicillin injections. Protection, again, just another important point to talk about with them. What are you currently using to protect yourself? And pregnancy, right? How far from now would they like to start a family? Whether it's a male or a female, whether they're cis or non-binary, whatever they identify with, it's an important conversation to have because they may or may not want to start a family. You don't know that unless you ask. And so how do you keep them healthy enough to get there? How do you place them on, on birth control if that's what they want to do in order to respect and kind of guide that family planning that they're trying to reach? I love the yeah. question of like, do you intend... What is it? Oh, I just lost it. But it's something about like, do you want to, um, I, I kind of phrase it as like, do you have any plans of um, having a family? Would you like to have a family? And how, how far from now would you like to do that? Because yeah. if you start with the answer of no, then like that really leads you on two different paths, right? Like yes or no is two different paths of counseling. Yeah. And that's where the closed ended and open ended questions come from, right? You're always going to get a lot more information from open ended questions than, than the closed ended ones. But yeah, you know, asking them, how do you want to have a family in the future? Is that something that you're thinking about? Um, if so, how far from now would you like that to happen? What goals do you have that you want to accomplish before that happens? And how can I help you get there? Right. The sixth P that was added on is on pleasure. And that's where you touch on, is it enjoyable for you? Do you have pain? Do you suffer from other problems that I might be able to help you with? Um, you talk about pride and, and we touched on this, but do you have support from your family? Have you disclosed your identity to them? Right. That's another piece that that's important to talk about because a person may be in, in a relationship with a person of the same gender and their family has no idea about it. Right. And so is that something that they want to talk to their family about in the future? Do they need to role play? Should we refer them to to therapy so that they can get some help on that, some coping skills? Or is that causing so much anxiety for them or depression, right? That they're, you know, doing self-harm. There's so many things that can be uncovered through these questions. And then the last one is is problems, which we we talked about already, but you know, difficulties when you're having intercourse. Yeah, and that really leads into one of the other questions. We had a lot of questions, but um, one of the things we wanted to talk about was about libido, mm -hmm. like sexual drive and sexual desire. Like, how do you talk about that with your patients? It's definitely a whole body approach. Yeah. Because you're you're thinking of this like any other illness or any other chief complaint. You're going to ask questions, get a good HPI, right? You always talk about the HPIs, mm -hmm. um, you know, go through a physical or examine you, whatever the part of the body that they have complaints about, but also take into account their psychological state and also their relationship factors. Because it's it's such a dynamic area, right? That you don't know what's causing what, or maybe this thing is causing this, and therefore that's being caused by this. Yeah. Um, for example, if someone's having a low libido, then you know, is this due to maybe cancer, or maybe their partner, or maybe stress, um, or maybe it's that they don't have an arousal, or they're not reaching their climax, right? Mm -hmm. 
there's all these things. And so the more information you get, the more you can, you know, comb through if they're on a medication because they're depressed, that might be a cause, right? And so is this something that can be switched to a different medication that doesn't have that side effect? Mm -hmm. Or does this person, you know, are they past that stage in their life where they were feeling this way? Can they be taken off it? There's a lot of avenues that you can take. If it's more physical, you know, there's tons of creams and pills and rings that, that can be given to women to help with those things, right? And with men, is it an issue of testosterone? And so just going through that whole body approach and and systematically, you know, knocking things out and seeing where is this coming from? Mm. Um, Not jumping straight into medication, but, you know, therapy, role playing, you know, can they talk to the partner about their concerns? Or is that something that they're not comfortable with, as well as not being comfortable in their own body, because body image is a big one, right? If they're not comfortable in their skin, that's going to affect their drive. That's going to affect the comfort that they have in bed. Totally, totally. Yeah, no, I really love that. And I think like, I think another thing it's that's like tied to it. Well, first of all, like the whole body approach. Absolutely. Like, I think it's one of those other things of like, if you're not comfortable, and I think this applies not just to sexual health, but other chief complaints in primary care of like, if you're not that comfortable with something, you're kind of like apt to like jump to the solution before you get into the problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, okay, we'll send some medicine, we'll send some tests, right? Mm-hmm. But if we can kind of take a step back and think about that bigger picture um, of like what else could be going on, what else could be contributing, um, that can definitely help our patients. And I think it's also really tied into pain too. Like there's a psychological component, there's a physical component, there's like problem related, right? Like they're having physical pain, like pelvic mm-hmm. pain, for example. Yeah. Like I just want to yell from the rooftops about pelvic floor physical therapy is like a real thing that people don't really know about. Mm-hmm. And it can be extremely helpful for patients with pelvic pain. Um, and I have an, I have an episode about that. I'll link to below here, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's really is such like a whole body approach and it's not just like jumping right to those like tests or solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to also, one of the questions that came up was, um, I think it's in the Medicare annual physical Mm -hmm. exam and they, there's like a requirement to talk about sexual health. Like you and I have talked about already, this is something we should be talking about anyway, at least Mm -hmm. once a year at at physical, uh, at like a patient's physical or just in general. But, um, there was a concern that somebody wrote in about, um, just like how to have conversations with patients. They were just feeling uncomfortable, like having like a partner there and how to have those conversations. And you and I talked about before we started recording, talking about sexual health, um, with older adults. I don't know. Where should we jump in with that? Like, what are what are your thoughts about that? We we'll start that? with the mini stat. My favorite, not so, so much. <laughs> so we talked about this already, but fifty to eighty percent of males and females are having intercourse right over the age of sixty. Yeah. So it just gives a perspective. Yeah. When you think about oh, this older person who's seventy isn't possibly having intercourse. Yeah. No, like most likely they probably are. <laughs> yeah. Like what biases are you coming in with? And like, what does older even mean? Right. Right. Like, right. Yeah. We nuts. had a hard time defining that, right? Is it 65? Is it 60? Like, what is that? Um, we have a lot of our, our population's aging and that number's growing. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were 50, not that long ago. Right. Mm-hmm. So what makes us think that this is no longer something that they desire, but you know, with these Medicare wellness visits, again, asking in the most dignifying way and letting them know this is part of their wellness check. Medicare is requesting and it's a question that you need to ask and they're more than welcome to decline. Um, But just asking in a way, you know, do you have intercourse? Right. Mm -hmm. Just, I, I, I find that when you're just very direct and very factual and very professional, people are are more willing to open up rather than you're like, Oh, I have a question to ask you. And like, uh, you know, I I don't want to, you know, 
when you're not so sure of yourself, then they're like, oh, okay, maybe, know. you know, and then they get weirded out. Yeah. <laughs> Can I trust this person? Circle. How are they going to respond when I say something? They're going to be like, oh, like that. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. But asking that and then again, going into is there is there something in, in your your sex life that you struggle with that you want to mm-hmm. talk to me about? Mm-hmm. Is it enjoyable to you or, or do you have um, concerns about it or discomforts that you want to talk about? Because a lot of these conditions that older our older aging adults have can be, you know, lessened or improved with with certain therapies, right? Whether it's psychological um, or medicinal or it's, you know, physical therapy, mm-hmm. um, things of that nature. And so just having that conversation and again, checking your own biases at the door and letting them know that you're going to be asking them a very private question totally. and going through that, right? Again, totally. what can I do as a provider to help you have more a more enjoyable sex life? Yeah. Um, the other part that I want to talk about, that's not so much related to older adults in general, but just yeah, yeah. asking these questions really empowers our patients to get to know their body, what they like and what they don't like. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, they're more able and prepared to keep themselves safe, get tested, keep their partner safe, have more care for their body, um, be more more picky with who they interact. I don't know how that's going to be received by people, but you know, it just asking these questions and, and allowing them to take better care of themselves is going to just put them in a much better situation. Had you not had these questions, have you not tested them? Had you not asked them these things? Right. I don't know. Yeah, and I think I wanted to add, like, um, I went to this really great continuing education about, um, I think it was STI testing and treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember what this equation is. So I should have looked this up beforehand, but it just, it just occurred to me while we were talking um, about there's an equation of like number of cases of STIs and then you have like something about like the behavior and then like treatment, like treatment behavior. I can't remember what the variable is. Do you know what that equation? I don't know. I've not seen that. It's an epidemiological kind of like equation. And basically the moral of the story is that like for the number of cases in a population, you cannot intervene on behavior. Like factually from epidemiological research, like you can't, and, and I, I'll try to, I'll try to see if I can find this and put it in the resources. But basically like, I think that sometimes when we talk about sexual health related things, it brings up a lot of people's like personal feelings about it. Mm-hmm. And truly what our job is in primary care and taking care of patients as providers is to keep them safe is to um, assess for wellness, for illness, to test and treat and support them in that, right? Like that is our that is our job bottom line. Yeah. And like the truth of sexual um, sexually transmitted infections, at least in this epidemiological way, is that you cannot intervene on behavior. Like mm-hmm. it just, it doesn't pan out, right? Like we can have conversations and they, like you said, like when we talk to people, they can absolutely have uh, different choices that they make potentially of like keeping themselves safe. And mm-hmm. also when we talk about population level, like the bottom line is we just have to test and treat patients, right? Mm-hmm. And like without judgment, without our own personal feelings, like whatever they are, like that is the thing that's ultimately going to achieve our our aims in global like healthcare is like keeping people well, right? Is test yeah. and treat, test and treat, test and treat. And mm-hmm. hopefully we have those conversations as well, but like just on a numbers basis, it's a big topic, but I really appreciate like how, how you're bringing all of these things in a very matter of fact way. And um, I really do agree with the directness of like, 
are you having sex? Right? Like that's just the question. And they're like, okay. Cause it's, it's, I mean, people might still not know what that means. Right. But at the same time, like we haven't, um, I think about language too, of like everyone comes with a different languages. Not everybody speaks English. Not everybody, mm-hmm. um, is from the U S right. Like talking about like international students. Right. So how can you be as direct and matter of fact and clear in your communication so that we're all on the same page? So wrapping up, one question, we kind of touched on this earlier about billing or about like expenses of testing. And then there was another question about like billing and coding. Um, and we don't necessarily have specifics about billing and coding, but in this moment, but I can I can pull in some stuff about that. But I wanted to talk with you about um, your experience with resources. Um, and I know that you practice in California. So what are what are your what do you have to share for people about um, those kind of like cost prohibitive pieces or resources to access when it comes to sexual health? Yeah. So in California, we are very lucky to have a program called Family Pact. And so that program is more geared towards family planning and reproductive health. And so depending on the person's income, their family size, um, they could even have insurance. But if privacy is an issue or the cost is a barrier to access, they can be eligible for this program. And so it's limited in the services that it covers, but it helps a ton because it covers STI testing, STI treatment, well, woman exams, um, if UTIs or vaginal infections coincidentally happen at the same visit when you're filling the birth control, then that visit's covered along with the treatment, which is wonderful. Um, But there are laboratories that will do sliding scale as well if the person has a limited income. And so those are questions that you would ask your laboratory, your office manager. And I spoke with Liz about this, but just, you know, seeking out resources, asking your office manager, is there a program that we might be eligible for that we could bring in, right? Or, you know, talking to your labs, you'd be surprised how many labs just want to work with other people because they want to get paid. Mm -hmm. And so if you just say, you know, is there a packet that we can purchase or is there a discount that you can give? us if our patients pay the same day. Um, there's also tons of, of laboratories that are privately owned that are offering test kits for STIs um, that they'll mail to your home and you'll get to collect a sample, send it back out, and then you get your results through the app. So there's a lot of innovation going on around that. As far as other resources, you know, you have Planned Parenthood, you have all these local clinics that a person could go to if you're not able to meet their, their needs there, mm-hmm. it's, if it's too expensive for them. So that's another thought. Totally. Yeah. And I just, um, especially for, um, I'm thinking about NP students, especially, I didn't know this until I was like out in the real world, but like federally qualified health centers um, typically have some sort of grant funding. Like it depends on the clinic, but it's like either it's funded either through patient visits and like the typical route, or they also have grant funding that supports things. And some of the grants can be related to sexual health, or you could talk to your supervisors about like, how do we go about doing that? And sometimes you have a grant writer. Sometimes it's just whoever's on staff who's passionate about getting grants. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's 403B pharmacies too. Um, That's more more on medications versus on um, testing. But if patients qualify for the federally qualified health center, they can get discounted pharmacies through this 403B pharmacy that might be associated with it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, I mean, I think that that's the way that I've primarily found out about our like family planning or sexual health resources that are available. Like we had a sexual health educator for a while at my clinic. I can't remember. We had some other type of funding, but um, that would be like, I would agree with you. I think that's the first place that I would start is office manager or your supervisor. Um, And then hopefully they can start to direct you, especially if you're not at a federally qualified health center, like what state state based resources do you have um, to potentially utilize when it comes to that, like funding specifically for sexual health related expenses or Mm -hmm. testing or education? 
Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is super fun. I really appreciate you having, uh, having, giving your time to us. Um, any other kind of like parting pearls of practice or uh, pieces you want to share? I mean, I think it's just like, just get started and do it Yeah. because these are missed opportunities when we're not comfortable with it. And we're like, well, I'll ask next time or I'll have so-and-so do it. I'll, I'll refer them to this person. They'll ask them. You know, you're banking on that, but if you just get started, you know, ask these questions, you most likely already have somewhat of a relationship with your patient, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they might just be waiting for you to ask them because maybe they are having a discomfort or, or yeah. a problem with their intimate, mm-hmm. you know, life. And so mm-hmm. you can be the person to help them and, and just broach that subject by asking that first question, are you having sex? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate it. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.